Hey friends, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. Theopolis trains men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs will learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are continuing our series on the life of Jacob with James Jordan, and here Jacob is finally at Peniel, and Jim Jordan's going to discuss the wrestling in Genesis chapter 32, verses 9 through 26. Along the way, he'll discuss the chiasm of themes in this passage and how Jacob's name change is at the center of the chiasm. There have been many who have read this passage as being when Jacob gets saved, and Jordan will show how that's not what's happening here. He'll also talk about what it means for the children of God to have a foot wound. We really hope that you enjoy this time of teaching, and we want to thank you for listening. And here is James Jordan discussing the life of Jacob. We're in Genesis 32, and I think we'll just start at the beginning and review and catch up. I pointed out last time that the Hebrew verse numbering is different from the English, and I'm going to use the English. And so if you're looking at the Fox translation, it says 32 verse 1 is Laban leaving from last time. And then his verse 2, which is Hebrew numbering, says, As Jacob went on his way, angels of God encountered him. That's actually verse 1 in English, and that's where we'll start. So, if you're in Fox translation, you're at the bottom of page 151, and everywhere else, you're in Genesis 32, verse 1. As Yaakov went on his way, messengers of God, angels of God, encountered him. Yaakov said when he saw them, this is a camp of God. He called the name of that place Double Camp. Angels encounter him as he comes back into the land, just as they encountered him as he left the land. At Bethel, God is going to encounter him. These things will all take place in the night, just like at Bethel. The name of the place is Double Camp. That has a number of resonances in the passage. Here it means God's camp is there with Jacob's camp. So the two camps are together. In a moment we'll see that there's Jacob's camp and Esau's camp. And we'll see that Jacob divides his people into two camps. So there's a bunch of pairs of camps here, but here... The primary one is that God is camping with Jacob as he comes into the land. The angel went with him. angel is accompanying him back. Now Yaakov sent messengers on ahead of his face to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, in the territory of Edom. Here we have Jacob's messengers. We have God's messengers or angels. Now Jacob's messengers or angels sent ahead. Again, it's interesting to notice the parallels between God and man, God and the image of God, and commanded them, saying, Thus say to my Lord, to Esau, Thus says your servant, Yaakov, I have sojourned with Levon and have tarried until now. Oxen, donkey, sheep, and servant and maid have become mine, and I have sent to tell my Lord to find favor in your eyes. So he says, Look, I've got a lot of stuff. Five things are listed there, and five is the number of a hand or of power in the Bible. Verse 6, the messengers returned to Yaakov, saying, We've come to your brother to Esau, but he's already coming to meet you with 400 men. 400 men are with him. That could be just to escort him through the land, but it could be quite a negative thing, and probably is to start with. That's what one would have to assume. The last time we met Esau, he said he's going to kill Jacob. And ordinarily, you don't come out with 400 men just to escort somebody through the land. 
But that's Jacob's problem because essentially he's got to pass through Seir or Edom in order to get back to where he wants to be, to Bethel. So he needs to get safe passage through that territory. Verse 7, Yaakov became exceedingly afraid and was distressed. He divided the people that were with him and the sheep and the oxen and camels into two camps, saying to himself, Should Asav come against the one camp and strike it, the camp that is left will escape. Now, we come to where we stopped last time. Verses 9 to 12 are Jacob's wrestling with God. This is in one night. The following night, Jacob will rest with a man, a person, until daybreak. And you have to say, what does that symbolize? Obviously, getting into a physical fight with God, it's got to mean something, but it doesn't just mean you're fighting with God in a physical way. And this is what it is about here. This prayer is the content, so to speak, of the wrestling that takes place. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Yahweh, who said to me, Return to your land, to your kindred, and I will deal well with you. Too small am I for all the faithfulness and trust that you have shown your servant. For with only my rod did I cross this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Pray, save me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Asav. For I am in fear of him, lest he come and strike me down, mothers and children alike. But you, you have said, I will deal well. Well with you, words repeated for emphasis. I will make your seed like the sand of the sea, which is too much to count. Spending the night there that night and so forth. Okay, we know that it's at night. Well, this prayer basically has an ABA structure in a very general way. He talks about God and his promise. God of my father Abraham, Isaac, Yahweh, who promised, who told me, return to your land and I will deal well with you. That's the promise. Then he says, look at my position here. Doesn't look like, I mean, I need your help right now. (laughs) I'm in trouble. And then he reiterates the promise. But you, you said, I will deal well with you. And I will make your seed like the sand of the sea. So he returns to the promise. Now, I think the essence of his prayer is, I may have to give up my possessions and my sheep and my goats, oxen, camels, maidservants and all the rest to Esau but please preserve my wives and children that's what the covenant really is Jacob now knows that you can start with nothing and you can in 20 years actually in 6 years you can wind up with lots of sheep and so he can give the sheep up because he can start again with only my rod did I cross this Jordan and now I become two camps. But you can't replace wives and children. You can, but it's not the same. And if the promise is that the kingdom is going to come through the seed of Jacob, then he prays for that while he's giving up all kinds of stuff to Esau. And so after that prayer, he gives up a huge amount of stuff to Esau. But he has asked God to preserve the things that really count. Again, this is not the prayer of some carnal man that God is going to have to break by wrestling with him at Peniel. That's not what this is going to be about. So, with that in mind, we see that he has spent the night, verse 13a, spending the night there that night. He has prayed, he's 
asked God to help him, and now he does what he thinks needs to be done. Possibly we can see this as an answer to prayer. Maybe the Holy Spirit now, because Jacob asked for help, gives him insight to know what to do. So it says he took a gift from what was at hand for Esau, his brother. She goats, 200, and he goats. This translates kids. I studied this out in all the commentaries and look at the Hebrew and everything, and I think it works better in this passage to say female and male, female and male, not mother and child throughout. So she goats 200 and he goats 20, ewes 200 and rams 20, nursing camels and their young 30, cows 40 and bulls 10, she asses 20, and donkeys, male asses, 10. And he handed them over to his servants, herd by herd separately. And he said to his servants, cross on ahead of my face and leave room between me, herd and herd. And he charged the first group, saying, When Asab, my brother, meets you, and says to you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going? And to whom do these ahead of your face belong? Then say to your servant, To Yaakov, that's who it belongs to, It is a gift sent to my lord, to Asab, and behold, he himself is behind us. Thus he charged the second, and thus the third, and thus all that were walking behind the herds, saying, According to this word shall you speak to Asab when you come upon him. You shall say, Also here, your servant Yaakov is behind us. I think that means, Look, look, here's some other stuff. Also, here. So you repeat, this is a gift. And your servant Jacob is behind us. That's the summary of what you say. Each one says the same thing. Because Jacob said to himself, I will wipe his face with the gift that goes ahead of my face. Afterward, when I see his face, perhaps he will lift up my face. When you get it, very literal translation, you get a lot of help. The gift crossed over ahead of his face. So the word face occurs in five lines in succession. And it also occurs in hidden places. That's why I translated cross on ahead of me is literally cross ahead of my face. Obviously, the word face is important here, and of course, penial means face of God. So that's where we're heading. So everybody's face is important here. We're going to have to be face to face with Esau, and you want to wipe the anger from Esau's face and get your face lifted up. Jacob is going to put his face to the ground when he sees Esau, and he wants Esau to lift up his face. He's going to have to wrestle with God and see God face to face first. So the themes are here that we want to hear the resonance of. The present for Esau is, again, fivefold. Goat, sheep, camels, oxen, and donkeys. Summarize the numbers here. Five groups. Again, a sign of power transferred to Esau. I don't know if Esau would have said, hmm, five groups here. Jacob is giving me power. He's yielding his power to me. But in a very broad, general way, that's a possible thing that's hinted in the Bible because that's what the number five associates with. And we've very carefully had two lists of five here in this passage. The gifts go ahead of Jacob and are an attempt to mollify Esau. We assume Esau is mad. We assume that if we give him presents, he won't be so mad anymore. If he gets them one at a time, he'll be more and more amazed each time and it'll soften him up. We're not told that that's what happened possible that's what happened. 
It's likely that's what happened. It's entirely possible that Esau had just gotten over being mad. And he didn't need all these gifts. In fact, he kind of halfway tries to give them back, but Jacob insists on giving them to him. We'll get to that eventually when we get to the next chapter. But obviously, in Jacob's mind, well, he says that I will send these gifts ahead and they will soothe his anger and perhaps we can be reconciled. And so that's what he does and that is what happens. So it seems to work. And that's not a bad thing. Especially since in Esau's mind, Jacob stole his inheritance. We know that God had said it was always to be Jacob's all along, but Esau thinks Jacob stole it. And here Jacob makes it back up to him. This is a lot of stuff. All these female goats and 20 males, you know, one male for each 10 females. I guess that's the proportions you want in a herd. And this is a lot of stuff. This is a big amount of wealth, especially camels. Camels were the $80,000 automobiles of the ancient world. Real expensive stuff. Remember I pointed out to you that when Abraham's servant showed up at Laban's house to get Rebecca and he had ten camels with him, that would have been, whoa, this guy is rich. Ten camels? Plus all this other stuff. And just to repeat what I said before, I think maybe this wisdom here is an answer to Jacob's prayer. So he's done all he can do. And then in verses 21 B to 23, he spends the next night in the camp. So he wrestles with God at night, and after that night, the next day, he divides these herds up. That would have taken some time. And he sends them on ahead, one after another. And then the next night, he is spending the night in this camp. Just for the geography of it, here's the Jordan River. We're about here at the Jabbok. And we're crossing over this way, not yet crossing the Jordan, but we're crossing this Jabbok stream which runs into the Jordan and basically is equivalent. In fact, he calls it, he says, with only my rod did I cross this Jordan. And so this Jabbok stream is considered as part of the Jordan and to cross it is to come back into the promised land. But, as I mentioned to you, Jabbok and Jacob sound very much alike, both in English and in Hebrew, and Jacob wrestling at Jabbok is a sound association that is in this passage. We talked a bit about that last week. It's just an interesting thing that you want to take note of. So we're here and we're crossing it, and it says that during the night he arose, decides to do this during the night, again, maybe hoping that he won't be noticed, maybe just because he couldn't sleep. We're not told why. We're just told again that something happens during the night. He arose during the night, verse 22, took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children. Dinah has not been born yet, it would seem. When we weren't told when she was born, just that she was eventually born to Leah. To cross the Jabbok or Yabok crossing. He took them and brought them across the river. He brought across what belonged to him. The other stuff, in a sense, he's giving to Jacob. Some stuff is his, but what essentially belongs to him 
are the wives and children. And if he has to come across with absolutely nothing but that, he is resigned to that. He does not want the wives and children to be killed. And Jacob was left alone. Now, that brings us to wrestling with God. And this passage is so, there's so much in it that we'll be here for a while. And we can only begin to look at it this week. But let's begin. Just one of those passages where a whole bunch of rivers of biblical theological information come together. And if we understand it well, then we understand what's been going on before and what will happen afterwards in a much better light. So we'll want to spend a little bit of time here in verses 24 to 32. Reading from Fox. And Yaakov was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the coming up of dawn. And when he saw that he could not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. The socket of Yaakov's thigh was dislocated as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the dawn has come up. And he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Yaakov. And he said, Not as Yaakov shall your name be henceforth uttered, but rather as Yisrael. For you have fought with God and men, and you have prevailed. And Yaakov asked and said, Pray tell me your name. And he said, Now why do you ask after my name? And he gave him a farewell blessing there. Yaakov called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life has been saved. And the sun rose on him as he crossed Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. For this reason, the sons of Israel do not eat the sinew that is on the socket of the thigh until this day, for he had touched or hit the socket of Yaakov's thigh at the sinew. We're all pretty familiar with this passage, but let's look at it. It is nicely chiastically arranged in terms of themes. Uh, the first thing we are told about is the thigh wound, which is important in the passage and is at the beginning and the end. Man wrestled with him. He saw he could not prevail against him. He touched the socket of his thigh. The socket of Jacob's thigh had been dislocated as he wrestled with him. Verses 24 and 25. And then at the end, for this reason the children of Israel don't eat the sinew that's on the socket of the thigh, for he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh. A lot of repetition of language there. We've got to understand this has to do with the socket of the thigh, which we'll have to clarify where that is in a moment. The next thing that's sandwiched in from that is sunrise. He says, uh, after he touches the socket of the thigh, he says, let me go for dawn has come up. The sun is coming up, and right at the end of the story it says, I have seen God face to face. The sun rose on him as he crossed Penuel. The sun rising and the face of God are parallel ideas here. Then there's the blessing motif. I will not let you go unless you bless me. End of verse 26. And that's matched in verse 29b. It says that God gave him a blessing there. And then at the center of the passage, we have this name discussion. What is your name? Change your name to Israel. And that's at the center, the changing of the name and the reason for it. And then Jacob asks for God's name and God says, I'm not going to give you my name. So that's the way it's set up. The name change is at the center. The name Israel. 
And what is on the outside are the wound in the thigh. Now, putting those things together as we should, if you're an Israelite, you have a thigh wound. Which is another way of saying, if you're a true child of God, you have a foot wound. Because the Messiah has a foot wound. Satan's head is crushed, but our foot is wounded. Circumcision is a foot wound. This thigh wound is a foot wound. And that's a sign of what it means to be Israel, to wrestle with God. So those two ideas are linked very closely by being the outer center and outer ideas in this structure. You can kind of figure that out anyway, but when you look at the structure of the narrative and how it's set out, it helps you to see what is being emphasized. We'll go through the passage and then there'll be a number of themes we'll want to consider. I will proceed. First of all, where are we? Verse 24a, Jacob was left alone. Well, the liberals tell us that Jacob was across, again, on the far side of the Jabbok, and now what's happened is he sent his wives and his children across, and now he's waiting over here, and now finally he tries to cross the river, and a river demon jumps up to try to stop him from coming in the land. Well, because this is all based on river demons. Well, we can dismiss that one. More sophisticated version is that for some reason or other, Jacob is on the far side, and God lets his property come into the land, and God lets his family come into the land, but God says to Jacob, you can't come in. And usually that becomes something like, you're a sinner, and you can't come in until I break you down and you're converted, and then you're able to come back into the land. Well, that is not going to work from everything we've seen in the Jacob narrative, in addition to the fact that there is no indication that Jacob went back across this river. This wrestling match takes place in the land. It says he crossed the river with his wives, his maids, and his 11 children. He brought them across the river, and he was left alone. It doesn't mean that he went back across the river, and it doesn't say he sent them across. It says he brought them across. So, we have to say, I believe, that Jacob is inside the promised land. He's already crossed the river, but at some point, around three o'clock in the morning or four, he's alone, his family is over here. Maybe he goes out to talk to God one last time. That would be my guess. I mean, he's very worried. He's been praying to God, and my guess is he went off to be alone to pray to God again, and then this wrestling starts. So in terms of scenario, I don't think we want to see God fighting with him to prevent him from coming across the river, but this wrestling takes place after he's already come in. And then it says someone wrestled with him. I think I'll jump down to the last thing here. A man wrestled with him till the coming up of dawn. And when is this? I've always had it in my mind, I think most people do, that Jacob wrestled with God all night long. But you see what's already happened here is the night came... He got up during the night and he crossed with his family and brought them across the river and established them. So a lot of things have already happened during this night. So my guess is, you know, we're around three or four o'clock in the morning when this starts. Time-consuming events have already happened during the night before this takes place. Now, we have a wrestler. 
who is this guy wrestling with him? Well, it's dark and Jacob doesn't know. It could be anybody. It could be some random member of the nation of Seir. It could be a robber. It could be just some loony man that lives out in the area out there and just attacks him. But as you wrestle, I mean, you begin to think maybe it's not. Maybe Laban has come back. Jacob wrestled with Laban for 20 years, and now Laban has left him, but maybe Laban, <laughs> Laban is a liar and a cheat. Just because he promised that he wouldn't come back doesn't mean he didn't. Maybe this is Laban. You can't tell. It's dark. Maybe it's not Laban. Maybe it's Isaac. Isaac is blind. Isaac basically fought with Jacob for years, tried to cheat him out of what God had said he was supposed to have. Isaac wrestled with Jacob for years. Isaac is blind. Maybe he's come out to fight at night, so Jacob doesn't have the advantage on him. But I would think that those ideas might have crossed his mind, but he probably figures it's Esau. Been wrestling with Esau for 97 years, ever since the womb. Esau is the one that's across there. And maybe Esau has come out to wrestle man to man and have it out, like David and Goliath. And there is some truth to that. This is not actually Esau, but it is somebody that is in a sense connected to Esau. In chapter 33:10, Jacob says, I have, after all, seen your face as one sees the face of God. Now, that's too close to Genesis 32 where he says, I've seen the God face to face for there not to be a link. Somehow or other, the man who's wrestling with him is wrestling with him about Esau and coming to understand more about God involves coming to understand something more about Esau. There's a link. So it's certainly not wrong to suggest that this isn't any river demon, but as Jacob himself would have thought, hey, this is Esau. Come out to fight. But actually, of course, we find out that it's not. It's Yahweh. It's been Yahweh all along. It was Yahweh who wrestled with him in the womb through Esau. It was Yahweh who wrestled with him through Isaac. It was Yahweh who wrestled with him through Laban. And it's been Yahweh who's been wrestling with him for 97 years, and now it comes to a climax. Now he knows who it is. As the night wears on, it becomes clear to Jacob that in reality, his conflict has not been with men, but with God. He hasn't been wrestling with men, but with God. The question is why? And the moralistic moralizing explanation is, well, Jacob has been a bad man up till now, and he's been fighting against God. He's been fighting against him for years, and finally God breaks him down here and changes his name from Sneaky to God Wrestler. In fact, that's the prejudice that the translation has here, because they translated Jacob, Heel Sneak is not your name anymore, but now it's going to be changed to God Wrestler. And that's the transition. It is understood. This is when Jacob gets saved. Or this is when Jacob, you know, stops becoming a carnal Christian and becomes a spiritual Christian. Or whatever. That isn't what's happening here. Jacob didn't pick these fights. He didn't pick the fight with Esau. Esau wrestled with him in the womb. He didn't pick the fights with Isaac. Isaac preferred Esau in a sinful way and for sinful reasons. He didn't pick the fights with Laban. Laban picked fights with him. These fights haven't been Jacob's fault. Somebody's been picking fights with him all along. And the question is why, and the answer is to cause him to grow up. The reason God sends difficulties into our life 
is to help us grow and mature. The reason God sent difficulties into Jacob's life is to cause him to grow and mature to the point where he is now mature enough and wise enough and old enough to come back in the promised land and deal with real hard questions that he was not mature enough to deal with earlier. Jacob has not been old enough to deal with some of these issues like Esau and now he is. And that's something to understand about life. There are things that when you're young you just aren't mature enough to handle and sometimes you just have to leave them off. And when you get older and you're wiser, you can figure out ways to handle it. It's not that every situation in life is a right and wrong situation where you say, well, I just do the right thing and good things will happen. I do the wrong thing, bad things will happen. A lot of situations in life are wisdom situations. And Jacob did not have the wisdom to deal with Esau earlier in his life. But God has put him through a whole series of situations and now he does have wisdom. Specifically, it's the wisdom to say I can give up all this property because God can give me more. Remember, we mentioned this earlier, but Jacob had, you know, with Rebekah, thought they were doing the right thing. I don't think they were intending to sin. I don't think they sinned in their consciousness in trying to get the blessing from Isaac and the property from Isaac. But the result is Jacob doesn't get it. He may get it later on. He doesn't get it at that point, and he has to leave. So he leaves with nothing. Now you might think, well, gee, now I don't have anything. But then he discovers that for 14 years he still doesn't have anything except wives and kids. But then in six years God makes him extremely wealthy. Now you learn from that that, well, gee, if I'm going to have to give all this up to Esau, whenever God wants to, he can make me extremely wealthy in six more years. I can give it all up to Esau if I can just keep my wife and children and get over here into the promised land. Six years, I'll have loads of sheep and goats if that's what God wants me to have. It can all happen again. So that he learns something. And on the basis of what he learns, he can afford to give all this stuff up to Esau and do something that he didn't know how to do before. He would have thought, I can't give this stuff up to Esau, then I won't have it. Now he knows, I can give it all up to Esau because God can give me more. I think that's at least part of it. This wrestling and God's wrestling with us and the problems and hardships that God puts in our way and the people that God puts in our path to wrestle with us are all designed to make us mature. And Jacob gets here, and what happens to Jacob here is a sign of maturity. And that's something that we'll have to consider at some length. Getting this wound here is a sign that he is moving to a higher stage of life. So that's essentially what's going on and we'll talk about it more. Verse 24c, it says, He wrestled with him until the coming of dawn. I mentioned that this is not all night long. A couple of reasons for it. First, is a practical one. If Jacob could have seen who this was, he would never have dared to fight with him. And he saw Yahweh once already at the top of the pyramid at Bethel, the ladder to heaven. He recognized there was someone to be seen there. And Jacob had recognized, well, this certainly isn't Laban, it certainly isn't Esau, it certainly isn't Isaac. In fact, this does not look like a human being at all. It looks a lot like the figure that I saw 20 years earlier at Bethel. Well, then he wouldn't have fought with him, would you? <laughs> I don't think so. So the darkness is important just for the situation. 
But there's another reason as well. This is another nighttime Passover transition. It would be interesting to write a little monograph sometime on all the nighttime, midnight transitions in the Bible. Of course, Passover is the most obvious one. You know, in the book of Acts, there's several of them. At midnight, a boy falls out of the window and is brought to life again. At midnight, Paul tells all the people on the ship that they're going to have to abandon ship if they want to be saved. Things that happen at midnight or during the night are real important. This is another one that just links up and there's a transition from an old situation to a much better situation that happens at midnight. Just as King Ahasuerus had the books read to him at midnight and decided to honor Mordecai, and everything changed in the book of Esther. And there's another reason it has to happen at night, and that's because no man can see God and live. For Jacob's own protection, if God is going to encounter him, it has to be at night. Because you can't see God. And if you do, you're toast. And so, it has to happen at night. And that's why, as the dawn comes up, the angel says, let me go. You don't want to see me. If you do, it'll mean your death. So those are reasons why it takes place at night. That's the setting. Now to verse 25. Man's wrestling with him. When he saw that he could not prevail against him, he hit. This word touch can mean anything from Genesis 3 where Eve says, we shall not eat of it, neither shall we touch it. It can mean that all the way to hitting somebody really hard. Well, I mean, this implies a wound, see, so. He smack, gave him a good smack on the inside of his thigh. And it says here the socket of Jacob's thigh had been dislocated as he wrestled with him, and he interprets that to mean the dislocation had already happened. Nobody else that I read takes it that way, and I think we'd have to say that, no, this wound takes place when the angel touches him. Now, where is this? It is on the curved inside of the thigh. The Hebrew has two words for hand. It has a word that means the extension of the hand, and it has a word that means the palm of the hand. Curved inside. And it has the same with foot. The normal word for foot means the extension of the foot, but the word palm can also be used for the palm of the foot. That's the word that's used here. It's the only time this word is used with a thigh. But it means the inside of the thigh where it's curved. If you look at yourself in the mirror, hopefully you can see that there is this curve on the inside. Well, that's very close to the genitals. And so it's very close to circumcision. And that's the link that we're going to want to make and spend some time on. But we need to connect it to the foot wound of the Messiah in Genesis 3. Jacob is going to be limping. And obviously... If your foot is bruised, you're limp. And so there's a connection between limping because your foot has been bruised, as in Genesis 3, and limping because your thigh has been thrown out of joint. Now you can't walk well. And a connection between being circumcised, which at least for several days after circumcision, you can't do very much. And that's going to come up again in two chapters when Simeon and Levi persuade all these Shechemites to circumcise themselves and then while they're still incapacitated, they kill them all. So this whole business of circumcision and this thigh wound is something that we will be discussing thematically later on. But here's where we want to notice what this is, what the wound consists of. It means that on the side of his body, and we're not told which side, 
guess we would have to assume the right side. But he cannot walk well now as a result. And the wound is right in here, and it incapacitates him. It incapacitates him for action. Jacob cannot really act anymore. He can't go out and fight. He can't plow a field. All the ability to act is gone. He is left with one power, and that is the power to speak. And Jacob is moving from being a king to being a prophet. And he has to rule now, not with his hand. He can't spank anybody, not really. He can't chase anybody. He can't wrestle with anybody. He can't do anything. He has to speak and direct his sons to do things. And they will either obey or disobey. That is the movement from the middle of life to the end of life. The middle of life you're able to do stuff. You get old and you can't go out and fight anymore. You can't plow a field anymore. But you can still talk and tell other people to do it. If you're an elder. We will talk about that at some length because that's the actual transition that's taking place between the name Jacob and Israel. Not from sinner to saint, it's from one stage of life to the next, and it's real important to understand that. It's personally important, and it's also important to understand it in terms of biblical history. Verse 26, He saw he could not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his thigh, and then he said, verse 26, Let me go, for dawn has come up. He said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The sun's coming up. Jacob can now begin to see whom he's wrestling with. And it's not anybody he might have thought it might be. He can tell. Because he says later on, I saw God face to face. And my life has been saved. I I should have died. (laughs) See God face to face and you don't live. Again, that's the subject we'll take up thematically. But you remember that God says that to Moses. No man can see my face and live. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son has revealed him. But the transfiguration, they saw Jesus' face. And so this whole business of seeing God's face is a theme in the Bible that we want to talk about here. But at this point in history, God is not showing his face. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now this blessing theme is real important in Jacob because Jacob spent a whole chapter with Rebekah trying to figure out how to get Isaac's blessing. But now there's somebody better than Isaac here. And the passage has pointed out, and it's used this name already, God of my father Abraham, God of my father Yitzhak. This is the God of his fathers, therefore he is the ultimate father. Years ago when we looked at the Ten Commandments and we considered the first one, you will have no other gods before me, but honor your father and mother. We saw that the word God is sometimes used for elders and wise people and rulers and judges and the like but that God is the ultimate Father. And the reason that we're not to worship our ancestors is because we have the God of our ancestors. And that's the important thing. God says, do not worship your ancestors. Do not worship the other powers in the world, including your ancestors, but worship the God of the ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, as God says to Moses. He's the ultimate Father, and he says, I want your blessing. That would be better than Isaac's blessing. Jacob's request for a blessing carries forward his desire for Isaac's blessing, and this is the real blessing of which Isaac's was only a foreshadowing. I think these people knew that blessings didn't work magically and that if Isaac didn't give the blessing that Jacob could get it some other way. We talked about that when we were at the passage. Still, it's best to do things the normal way. 
But Isaac's blessing is only a shadow of the real blessing. And if Isaac messes it up, God is still there and he has the real blessing and he can give it. So now he's face to face with God and he says, well, I want the blessing from you, not from Isaac. Or what Isaac's blessing only represented. Now we get to the full one. And that's another thing. I mean, if we want to discuss the progression of Jacob's life and we'll come to it, there's something that you get from Isaac, but when you're old enough and you're ready, there's something more that you get from God. And it's these stages of maturity and growth are part of what we're trying to uncover here because that's what's really going on in these stories. He says, dawn has come up, and I've mentioned before, man can't see God and live, so God's desire to depart is to protect Jacob. The liberal reading of this by many liberals is, well, you got a river demon here, and the demon is scared of the sun. No. They said God wants to protect Jacob. The whole rest of the Bible shows us this. The sun's coming up. You better let me go, or there's going to be trouble, because you can't see me and live. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.